Let me read the scripture for us. We'll, this is our last um, beatitude in Matthew chapter 5. So let me read the scripture for us. It'll be Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1, all the way to verse 12. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 to 12. Let me read that. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted and for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for just a time to pause. Amidst our busy week, amidst all the things that are happening, all the plans that we have ahead, that we can just take these moments to hear your voice. What we need is not another cup of coffee or um, more things to do to keep us entertained or another show to watch or another thing to go and experience. What we need to comfort our souls, to satisfy us, what we need is to hear from you. So I pray that you would accomplish that today. That by your spirit, your words would begin to come alive, that your people would hear them coming from your mouth. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, um, I was thinking, there are a lot of things in our world that are very illogical. Actually, I'm going to grab my coffee here. Um, and just don't make sense, then just don't, um, that just are beyond explanation. Just things in our world where I'm just like, why does that even exist? Why do we do that? I, I can't comprehend why we even bother. For example, let me give you another, uh, one that I saw is, did you guys know they have lifeguards at the Olympic events for swimming? What is the purpose? These guys are professional swimmers, so why would you do that? Um, have you also noticed why people insist on pressing the elevator button multiple times? Right? It works after the first time. I'm guessing some of you do that. I saw somebody glance this way. <laughs> <laughs> or the, the crosswalk one, right? Like, they just jam that thing. Uh, or maybe most annoying of all, why do uh, mosquitoes exist? Right? What is the purpose of mosquitoes? Does anyone know? They are the deadliest of all animals. They make something beautiful like a summer night just unbearable, right? What, uh, what is the, the point of mosquitoes? And here's one I can't understand. Why do people run marathons? Tell me, why do people run marathons? I mean, I say that, but um, 
the Boston Marathon is one of my favorite things, and actually in a month or so, we're going to experience the Boston Marathon again. It is one of my favorite things about being in Boston. Every April, it is one of the most exciting things to experience as a spectator, somebody on the sidelines, somebody enjoying the spectacle of the sport. But this is what I can't understand. If you're not one of the runners in contention for that really great uh, cash prize, or if you're not one of the runners on the elite running circuit, and Boston, the Boston Marathon is one of the races on that circuit, if that's not you, then why in the world would you volunteer to run four and a half miles straight? Charity. Well, that's a good one. You're right. You're right. Um, for a lot of people, it just... They just do it because they want to. And maybe, you know, that's how they want to spend their day. Maybe it's because they want the medal, the the participation medal at the end of the day. Maybe it's because they want to cross something off their bucket list. Or actually, I was thinking, maybe it's because, you know, that elite sticker that people put on the back of their Subarus, the 26.2? If you have that, that means you've, like, made it in life. Maybe it's because they want to be able to say that with integrity. Uh, Maybe it's all of those things. I'd even like to think, every time I hear the, um, the Dunkin' Donuts slogan, you guys know um, uh, America runs on Dunkin', right? Whenever I think of that, I think of marathon runners, and I think for some marathon runners, I think they run the marathon as this net neutral thing, right? If I run the marathon, if I run more, then I can run, eat more donuts, right? If I, if I could just neutralize the donut by running more, then I can uh, enjoy this beautiful treat called the donut. So I, I don't know why we would run marathons, but people do that. Now, whatever it is that possesses you to run a marathon, whatever it is that possesses you to sign up for that, it has to be incredibly motivating because I can imagine that if it isn't motivating, if it isn't something that helps you finish the race, 26.2 miles is terribly difficult, hard to endure, right? The end result, the re- reward is the key to our endurance. There's a reason why you endure through school, four years of school. It's for the degree. There's a reason why you wait patiently for Christmas. Kids, why do you guys wait for Christmas? For presents. You're waiting for the, the presents. Or if you're like me, there's a reason why you stand in line or sit in my car in line for 30 minutes at Costco yesterday because I could save 50 cents on the gallon for gas. I'm willing to endure that time because of the reward. Or as Jesus will say later, the greatness of the reward determines the depth of your joy. The greatness of the reward determines the depth of your joy. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, again, is where we're going to be we're going to be at the end of Jesus' Beatitudes. We're, we're at the end of this great introduction of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is pronouncing what it looks like to be a part of his coming kingdom and why it's such good news. Now, if there was ever a time that you listen to Jesus' teaching and you wonder, hey, that was totally out of line, or wow, you didn't say that with the greatest uh, care or Uh, with the uh, best empathy, that was a misstep in your teaching. Maybe he could have uh, said that maybe a little softer or with more nuance. This would be the space. His teaching here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 to 12, is the uh, spot where you would be like, whoa, Jesus, I think you might have messed up there. I think you might have spoken out of turn. 
Because as he is speaking to a large crowd gathered on the mountainside, he begins to say to them, blessed are you, those who are persecuted. Blessed are you, those who are persecuted. Right? If, if Jesus is trying to start a movement, that's not a great recruiting statement. That you, would, you should say, hey, blessed are you who are comfortable. Blessed are you who are retired and relaxed. Blessed are you who are, uh, have amassed enough wealth to be comfortable and cozy. Right? He should kind of give something that would be more palatable. But instead, Jesus says, you're blessed if others mock you, slander you, and speak evil against you. Imagine if you were in that crowd and you had just gone through a rough week of following Jesus. Your friends are speaking ill of you. Your, your family has abandoned you and you're coming to Jesus. You're hoping for some encouragement and some empathy and some comfort. And Jesus says to you, blessed are you when others utter all kinds of evil against you. It just wouldn't register. You'd be like, Jesus, what are you talking about? This persecution doesn't feel like a blessing. I don't feel blessed right now. I don't understand what you're saying. I don't get it. And, and maybe it is because of how difficult it is to swallow, how his pronouncement is difficult and it doesn't uh, uh, ne- uh, naturally ring true to us, that Jesus actually repeats himself. This is the only beatitude in uh, the, the list that he repeats a second time. It's like he's, he says at first in, in verse 10, uh, you know, blessed are you, uh, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And he probably just got some blank stares. He probably got some furled eyebrows and just people just that weren't quite understanding where he was going. And I'm guessing he then followed that up with verse 11 and he says with a little bit more force, a little bit more context, he says, no, 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 blessed are you. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, because this statement, this pronouncement is so puzzling, uh, I want to ask a couple questions of the text to hopefully grasp what Jesus is saying, to hopefully understand and kind of uh, come to uh, understand uh, what Jesus is pronouncing here. So two questions. I want to ask of the text are, what are we persecuted for and how can we endure it? What are we persecuted for and how can we endure it? So first question, what are we persecuted for? Now, Jesus makes it clear that you aren't just blessed because you're persecuted, full stop. The blessing is not just persecution, full stop. He qualifies it. He says, you are blessed because you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, that's a very Christian thing to say. So what does that mean? What does for righteousness' sake mean? Well, this is where Jesus' repetition and clarification comes in handy because the second time he says it, he says, you're blessed when they persecute you on my account. In other words, because of me. So it would seem that the type of persecution, the type of suffering and hardship that uh, Jesus is talking about that leads to blessing or uh, that helps uh, helps you understand why you're blessed is the persecution that is a result of Jesus because of what he is, uh, who he is, and 
because you stand with him, because you look like him or act like him. So what that means is that you aren't blessed just because you're forced to be the roommate in the house that always has to clean up after everybody. You aren't blessed if your political ideals aren't championed in our society. You aren't just blessed if you feel like people don't like you. You're not blessed if you're, you're generally the disliked neighbor in the neighborhood, uh, especially if you're the bad neighbor that, that just doesn't take care of their house. That's not what results in blessing, Jesus said. In fact, one person summarizes it like this, and I think this is really helpful to understand. If all you experience is opposition, it's not because you're a Christian. It's because you're a jerk. If all you experience in this life is opposition, it's not because you're a Christian. It's probably because you're a jerk. Now, on the other hand, if you never experience resistance, then it's not because you're a Christian. It's because you're a coward. And that's because uh, there will come a day for all of us to endure suffering for the sake of Jesus. But the frequency is up to the Lord. The severity is up to the Lord. Right? Notice what Jesus says. He says, blessed are you if you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Does he say that? No, Jesus says, blessed are you when you're persecuted. Does he say, kind of qualified and say, well, you know what? If you grow up outside of the United States, maybe in a foreign country where uh, a different religion is uh, more known and accepted, then there is an off chance that you can be, you're, you are more likely to be persecuted. No, he doesn't qualify it like this. He just says, blessed are you, not if, but when you're persecuted. The suffering is inevitable, in other words. The persecution will happen. Following Jesus will lead to persecution and suffering. You might think that that's something that only happens for Christians overseas, over there, the other people, and you might be right in some cases. And this is a wild stat that I, I saw. This comes from the center, of study, the center of the Study of Global Christianity, which is actually up the road in, on 128 at Gordon-Conwell. But that center that studies global Christianity said that every year there are over 90,000 Christians who are martyred. It's one Christian every six minutes. It just seems crazy like we're in America and we, we just can't grasp that, but that happens globally. And you'd be right. It, it does happen disproportionately outside of the United States. But even here, even here in Boston, Massachusetts, in our day, because you follow Jesus and because you take him at his word, you might believe that men and women are created equal, yet distinct. And that ethic could lead you to lose your job. That ethic could lead you to lose friends. That ethic could lead you uh, to be called some ugly names. Even in our day, because you follow Jesus, because you take him at his word, you might believe that Marriage is this sacred union between a man and a woman. And that might lead you to lose a lot of friends. That might cost you a platform of influence. 
because you follow Jesus, you might abstain from a variety of things. It could be some foods, some drinks, some shows, some events. You can abstain from a lot of things because of your convictions. And to the world, that makes you irrelevant. That makes you somebody that they can't trust and they cast you aside. Jesus says the world will revile you or mock you. The world will persecute you. They will utter all kinds of uh, evil things against you falsely on my account. He even warned his followers in John chapter 15. He says, if you were of the world, speaking to his followers, his people, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore, the world hates you. The question is not if, it's when. Christ's followers will face persecution in varying degrees. Now, to be certain, it's not all we face. Like, we shouldn't have this martyr complex and this suffering complex where all we experience in the Christian life is suffering. That's not it. There is joy. There is glory. There is a fulfillment. But at the same time, if you don't face suffering, if you never face persecution, it should make you start to reevaluate what it is that you're following in the first place because it may not be Jesus. Because Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he says it very clear. He says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's going to happen. A world that does not value what God values will resist you when you start to uh, declare what God says is true, good, and beautiful. What are we persecuted for? We're persecuted because we're like Jesus. We follow Jesus. So the next question I want to ask is, how can we endure it? How can we endure it? Because I do not know a single person, unless you can surprise me, I do not know a single person that loves persecution, that loves suffering, that loves to be ridiculed, loves to be left out. I don't know anybody that loves that sort of life. None of us want that. But Jesus says to those who are persecuted, he says, if you're mocked, if you're slandered, if others speak falsely of you, he says to them, rejoice and be glad. Nowhere in the Beatitudes does Jesus ever make a commandment or an imperative. This is the one place. This is the one place in his Sermon on the Mount, or the first place in the Sermon on the Mount, where he makes a commandment. He doesn't tell you to do anything until here. He says, here, rejoice and be glad. And it's impossible. This is the first time he tells us to do something. It's impossible. When you're persecuted, when you're suffering, he says, rejoice. What do you mean, rejoice? What do you mean? How am I supposed to be glad about any of this happening to me when I'm persecuted or suffering? Are you supposed to slap a fake smile and just grit your teeth and get through it? Is that what Jesus wants? Does Jesus want us to be masochists and just enjoy the pain? No, of course not. Jesus tells us why we're to rejoice and be glad in the midst of suffering. Verse 12. Verse 12, he says, Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. 
He talks about the greatness of the reward in heaven. He says, what's coming ahead for you is so great that no matter what you face today, what you're going through today, you should be glad and full of joy. So some of you guys know that I was born and raised in Chicago, right? Maybe you didn't know that, now you do. So I was born and raised in Chicago, and every once in a while, we take the six kids, we pile them in, or six kids, wow, feels like I have six kids, the four kids and two of the adults, six people in total, into an SUV, we pile them into an SUV, we take the 17-hour trek from Boston to Chicago, the 1,000-mile drive and road trip, and we do that just to visit our family. Now, the very first time I did that, I did what any... Um, desperate parent would do that doesn't know what to do in a particular situation they've never experienced before. I went to Facebook and I asked the question, hey, hey parents of Facebook, what would you do if you have to take a very long road trip with a lot of children? And I want to read you some of the comments that um, was on that thread. So the first comment was, don't do it. Okay, great. Uh, and then someone else said, duct tape. That's a helpful one. Uh, one of the pastors of Seven Mile Road then messaged me and said, low expectations, bro. Low expectations. Probably my favorite was this one, Benadryl, earplugs, and rum. Alternate who gets what for fun. <laughs> Haven't tried that, but I will keep that in my back pocket. Right? Now, all the responses had a similar tone. All the responses were, hey, it's going to be horrible for you, but here are ways that you can make it less horrible. All right, less bad. Now, I've made that drive several, or a few times uh, over the last several years, and you know what I tell myself in order to get through that 17-hour drive? Tell myself this thing. I repeat to myself, Portillo's Italian beef dipped with hots. I say to myself, Portillo's Italian beef sandwich dipped with hots. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Tess knows, and hopefully you agree, right? It is a beautiful sandwich. It is one of the most beautiful sandwiches. If you've never had it, come talk to me. I will buy you a one-way plane ticket because I can't afford the other way, but you'll have to get the other. And I will give you $10 to go with that fare so that you can go get yourself a Portillo's Italian beef sandwich dipped with hots. Um, it is thinly sliced uh, beef, it is uh, seasoned with the best Italian seasoning. It sits in, just soaks and bathes in this au jus. And what you do is you stuff uh, some, some sandwich bread, or not sandwich bread, like a, a, a sub loaf. What is it? What do you call that? Not pita. It's a, it's a, it's a roll, sub roll. <laughs> you take the sub roll, you put the, the meat in there, and then you take the whole thing, and then you also dip it into the juice that the meat was bathing in this entire time. And then on top of it, you put, you know, the, the best level of spice, uh, spiced peppers and, um, uh, you know, marinated or pickled vegetables. And, and just, it's just a beautiful, beautiful sandwich. I tell myself, Italian beef sandwich dipped with hots. I had one a few weeks ago and I'm still satisfied. But this is not the same thing as what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not telling us, hey man, just look on the bright side. There's a sandwich waiting for you. He's not telling us that there's a sandwich. What he's offering for us is something far greater than a sandwich. He says, my reward is great in heaven. 
And when Jesus was saying this, one of the people that was nearby or somewhere in the mountainside hearing Jesus teach was Peter, the, the disciple Peter, uh, who later on went to pen his own letter to the church in Rome. And he says in his own letter in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, you heard Magdiel read a little bit of it, but he says something that Jesus says. He basically repeats, he says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad. You remember that? Who said that? Jesus said that. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, Peter said, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So how great is this reward? Well, Peter tells us earlier in his letter what the reward is like. He says, well, it's an award, a reward, it's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in that last time. And he says in verse six, in this you rejoice. The reward to which Jesus commends you is not something cheap like a sandwich. The reward that Jesus commends to you is not something that fades like power or popularity. The reward that Jesus commends to you is inheritance that is imperishable, unfading, undefiled, kept in heaven for you. The reward is never going to lose its strength. The reward is never going to lose its shine. The reward is never going to grow old or rust or diminish in any form or fashion. And just in case you were wondering if it was still going to be waiting for you when you got there, uh, Peter says, no one can snatch it away. It is being guarded by God himself for you, by his power. So Seven Mile Road, the reward for resistance is better than a sandwich. The reward for resistance is a savior. The reward for experiencing suffering and persecution is not a fleeting pleasure, but the reward is a forever person, the presence of God, Jesus himself. I mean, just read the blessings, even just in Matthew chapter 5, let alone the rest of the scriptures, but just Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes themselves. Listen back again to what Jesus says you will have when you belong to the kingdom of God. He says, one, you will see God. You will actually see him face to face. You will receive mercy. You will be called sons of God. You will be children. You will be heirs with him. You will be comforted. You will experience God's comprehensive comfort, a comfort that you have never experienced here on this earth. You will inherit the earth. His creation, the way that he intended it, that's going to be yours. And then he says, finally, you will be satisfied. All of that is yours. All of that is yours in Christ Jesus. 
So the question I want to ask you is this. Is Jesus enough? Is that enough? Is Jesus enough? When you think of God, when you think of seeing him, receiving his mercy, uh, being comforted by him, uh, being called a child of God, does that satisfy you? If not, it's probably because you're not a Christian. Probably because you want something better than God, better than what he has to offer. Because if you ever truly felt the poverty of your spirit, if you've ever truly felt and mourned over the brokenness of this world and of your sin, then you would long for Jesus. You would long for what he has to offer. You would long for the kingdom that he is announcing. You'd long to have this blessed life. As a Christian, the promised presence of God is the greatest gift we could have. That gift is present today and in its fullness tomorrow. His presence is what led Moses through slavery. His presence is what helped Daniel endure that fiery trial. His presence was what helped um, David escape certain death. His his presence is what helped the prophets stay their course and continue to, to speak. His presence is what helps Jesus' church then and now endure suffering and persecution. Our reward is Jesus. Because in the presence of God, you will find everything you have ever needed. It's only in the presence of God that you'll be whole, that you'll be complete, and as Jesus promised, that you will be satisfied. Let's pray together. Father, I know that these words are so hard to hear. They are for me. Because when I go through suffering, when I get persecuted for my faith, when I get ridiculed and um, get called different things that I don't like to hear, it does not feel good. I don't see it as blessing. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to see the blessing that's there. That we are counted as sons of God, children, heirs. That we inherit your creation. That we are comforted. And we can be satisfied in you. I pray that you would help us to see that our greatest gift is to have Christ, Jesus himself, in its fullness in ways that, we, that are unfathomable here on earth, but also even more in the days to come. I pray that you would make your presence so felt to us, especially if we're going through that season right now. Especially for those of us that are facing persecution and suffering right now, that are being ridiculed and mocked for their faith. I pray that, Spirit, you would comfort them. You'd remind them that they are children of yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.